Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's, and I work for EPL Index and The Boot Room. Hi, I'm Richard. I'm a Manchester City fan. I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns, and I'm a member of the Blue Moon Podcast, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast, and they are on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Hello, I'm uh, Thomas Nygren from LFCSV.se, and I'm also a regular at the Total Liverpool podcast, uh, both in Swedish, but I'm going to try to use my English now. <laughs> much appreciated. Um, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, we're going to start off with um, Tottenham, which I often feel selfish about doing, and apparently I underrepresent uh, Tottenham largely in the topics because I figure people get enough of me talking about it, but interested to get your guys' take. Obviously, Tottenham beat Chelsea today. It opens up an eight-point lead between fourth and fifth, regardless of which teams, although it is those two that played, Tottenham and Chelsea. Uh, do you think that this is now the top four set, uh, or, or will somebody make a late push uh, Arsenal getting a much needed win today uh, or and you know crazier things have happened but but do we think this is just about uh, who we'll see in the Champions League next season from England I appreciate the uh, the non-bias of trying to say Arsenal can make the top four when I don't <laughs> think anyone really thinks that's going to happen do they <laughs> but um, yeah basically on the on on the top four I think it's pretty much set I think eight points is, is too big a gap now uh, especially with Liverpool Manchester United and Tottenham all playing quite well they, they're you know, picking up points that they're not, there's nothing about them that's saying that they're going to suddenly start dropping a lot of points. So I think it is relatively set. I thought today was a big game and I thought Chelsea started well in it. Um, had a lot of chances and perhaps should have uh, scored when it was 1-0 and maybe gone two up and, and they had chances then. But as soon as Tottenham got that goal before halftime, there was only one winner and you could see that the sort of difference between the two teams and it's not surprising because Chelsea have been a mess this season the recruitment uh, Conte the tactics it's all just not gone well so I wasn't too surprised to see Tottenham beat them today and I think I, I think that that you know the, the four best teams in in the Premier League are the ones currently in the top four I think if you take Manchester City out of it because they're obviously the, the the best team by quite a long distance uh, the other three I think you could uh, you could sort of give or take any, any of them I think they could come any of them could come second or third or fourth. I think there's not a lot between them. I think it's boring and as underwhelming as Manchester United are. They they seem to do okay in the bigger matches and they're probably the most consistent, I'd say, over the, type, the course of the season. I think Tottenham and Liverpool both had um, poor starts or at least slow starts compared to where they are now. And Manchester United have been pretty consistent throughout, even though they have had a f- few dodgy results. But... Yeah, I, I think it's it's the top four now, and I think you know Chelsea are, are becoming quite a bipolar club. You know, two league titles and two things outside the top four 
in the last four years is not great and well, i mean it's good but not good at the same time i, I guess it uh, uh depends where your priorities is at uh developing a club or trophies and we know the difference between liverpool and, and tottenham and chelsea is that liverpool and tottenham are really prioritizing building the club and stabilizing themselves as a top top four team and they've managed to do that again this season yeah i'd, I'd pretty much agree with all of that i mean kev if you throw in Arsenal in there with a shout at top four, that is very much the words of a Tottenham fan. Who, <laughs> I've been hurt before. <laughs> yeah, who has become used to, over years and years, Arsenal conspiring, well, Tottenham conspiring to finish below Arsenal, no matter how good a position they have. The 13 points off with seven games to go. So I think, yeah, it's, um, it is the top four. Uh, I, I think we'll finish as the top four. Um, I think there is... A bit of wiggle room for how the teams will finish. I don't think they're necessarily completely set in their positions. Uh, I don't think, for example, that it's beyond the realms of possibility that Liverpool will pip United to second. Um, I I do think there's room for manoeuvre. But other than that, to be honest, I don't really think I can add a a whole lot to what Jake said. I think it will be the top four. I think it's the right top four. Um, And yeah, I mean... I'll be honest. I wasn't sure if you'd um, what what would happen today at Stamford Bridge, just because of I sort of I sort of thought Spurs would win, but all thirty years without a win at Stamford Bridge, uh, thing sort of it carries a lot of weight because that's such a long time to to not win there. I know Pochettino's uh, away record in the league against other top six teams hasn't been uh, hasn't been particularly impressive, uh, so I wasn't sure how that one would go. Uh, and I didn't get to see the second half, so um, to be honest, on the first half, uh, I wasn't particularly convinced that Tottenham would uh, would turn that one around. But uh, it's a great result, and yeah, uh, a, a much needed one for making that last stretch of the season a, a bit more comfortable. And I, I do, I think it's the right top four. Well, as a Liverpool supporter, I don't feel safe, but uh, I guess I should. But I'm I'm not that used to us being this solid as we are this year. And uh, games like yesterday, we usually drop points, but this year we win them. So hopefully we are safe. We have a derby left next weekend um, and we still have to play Chelsea away. But I don't see them winning every game that's left. So I think there are 10 points behind us with one game in hand. And I, seven points is too much for them to to get back. So hopefully... This will be top four, and uh, but I, if we if we end at the second place, I will be satisfied. If we are fourth, I will be satisfied as long as Chelsea don't catch up. So, yeah, I agree with you both before me. It's uh, this will be the top four. Well, I feel very optimistic having heard all of that. Uh, just quick yes or no's. Um, if Tottenham only make top four and don't win a trophy this year, do you consider it a success, Jake? Um, um, no, I don't think it is. I think you have to progress in, in top four of what they've done the last couple of seasons. So I think that FA Cup is quite important to, to step up and continue their sort of development as a club and, and get a trophy, you know, on the board. So I think, I think it, it wouldn't be a failure to just finish top four, but I think it wouldn't be a success either. It'd just be par. Fair enough. Richard? Uh, I would say... Uh, in one word, yes, but seeing as Jake was allowed a qualifying sentence, <laughs> um, I would say it's success in so much as it meets the target. I think top four will be, for, for some time, will be sort of Spurs' um, start of season target. Um, and the, the trophies, 
I think they're hard to target domestic trophies because anything can happen. Um, speaking as a you know City fan, we're running away with the league and we got beat by a Wigan. Uh, you, there's a lot that you can't account for. So I think you, you've got to try and win a trophy um, because they're what fans enjoy and it's a, it's something tangible. Uh, but I would say it's an on-target success if it's top four and without a trophy. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a success, but it's a good season. The most important thing for us behind Manchester City is to finish top four. And mm-hmm. if you do that, it's a, it's a good season. You have a, you're ahead of both Chelsea and Arsenal, so <laughs> it's good. But it, if you're fourth, you're not better than last year, so it's hard to call it a success. True. Well, the only way we could have been better than last year would be a trophy or uh, finishing first because we finished third and second uh but unfortunately richard and manchester city yes i'm lumping you in with them uh decided to just have a ridiculous season uh all right uh next up i thought this would be really interesting since we have a liverpool fan on and a manchester city representative um because the player of the year seems like it's coming down to de bruyne or salah and we've kind of danced around this on past shows but i thought it'd be good to just kind of give each of you a platform to make the case or why the player at your team uh, deserves that award. Uh, Richard, uh, you'll serve first, talking about Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I think he does. Uh, it's hard, this one. I think it, De Bruyne deserves it on the basis that he has been the driving force behind uh, behind the best team in the country, and arguably the best team in Europe. The, the proof will still be in the pudding with that one. But... Um, is game after game, right from the start of the season, has been near flawless. You never really get less than a sort of eight out of ten performance from De Bruyne now. Even when he's even when he's not at his absolute peak, he's still one of the best players on the pitch, which is uh, which is quite something to say in a league as competitive as the Premier League. Uh, he's really stepped up to doing it in in really big games on big occasions. Uh, one of the the most important results in our season was the uh, the one 0 win at Stamford Bridge in September or October, uh, and he scored the winning goal in that, and he was he was brilliant, and he was a, a really important part of a team that went and basically schooled the champions and although it was only 1-0 we we absolutely demolished them on the day um it's a, a, you know if we, if we go off stats his assist record is is a pretty outrageous his goal record is good um although maybe that's not a drum i should beat given that we're comparing him to Salah, who's obviously scoring for fun uh, game after game uh, but for for his position uh, he, he does score a reasonable amount of goals um and he's when I think when you look at some of the the patches of form of players in City's team this season, they sort of they've almost rotated the goals. So at the start of the season, there was a period when it, every game it was Sterling and notching up with with last minute winners or um, or really important goals, and then there was a, a period of David Silva doing it. Um, and obviously, these are players who the nature of our form over the season suggests that uh, a lot of players have been on song consistently but even within that De Bruyne is still just about um, just about the best of the lot and if you're the best player in the best team um, I think that speaks volumes the and one thing I would say as well I mean I'm not personally that bothered about individual awards because at the end of the day he's going to have at least uh, two team trophies and, and you know that's really what they're all there for but it would be nice um for one of our players to be individually recognised, because we don't um, we don't seem to get the rub of the green with that. I mean, I think in Premier League history, for example, there's been three seasons when the the league winning manager 
didn't win manager of the year and two of uh, two of those seasons were our managers and you've got like Sergio Aguero who is season after season recognised as one of the Premier League's best strikers one of Europe's best strikers but has never been included in the team of the year so it would be nice um, it would be nice for one of our players to get that recognition but at the end of the day um, if it's the league the Carabao Cup and, and maybe the Champions League then that'll be enough for me but for, for De Bruyne game after game um, it would be it's. I think you can flip a coin between him and, and Salah, but it would certainly be a worthy award if De Bruyne were to get it. Yeah, Thomas, what's your view uh, on, on why Salah should be awarded Player of the Year? Yeah, first of all, I'm not sure that I want him to win because I fear we might, I fear we might lose him if the world realized how good he is. But <laughs> maybe that is too late now. Uh, but if you look at his stats, they are uh, completely amazing. He's played in 31 games and scored 29 goals. And one of those goals are, is a penalty. And he has scored in 21 different games. So he doesn't score too many goals a game, but he always scores. And he often the game-winning goals, like he did yesterday. Um, and he has made nine assists, six more points out of him, and it's a Premier League record. And in the big games, he has scored three goals against Spurs. He scored against Chelsea. He scored twice against Arsenal. And he scored the winner against City at Anfield. Uh, the only two teams he hasn't scored against this year is uh, Manchester United and Swansea. Uh, so his goal-scoring record is extremely uh, important to us. And uh, of course, De Bruyne is a, is a great player. Maybe he's a, he's a better player than Salah is. But Salah's goal-scoring record this year, uh, if he doesn't get the award, it's uh, I will be surprised if he doesn't get it, I have to say, because... Um, if he, if he goes on and scores like this for the whole season, it will be a Liverpool record and a Premier League record. And if he doesn't get the award, then it, it, yeah, they will have to do something really special in the last games. But uh, as I said before, I'm not sure that I want him to win because we have, we have lost the players who are this good to us. We've lost Suarez, we've lost Coutinho. And uh, I fear we might lose Salah in the end if he keeps on scoring like this. Well, I guess uh, Richard wins since Thomas doesn't want Salah to win it anyway. Yeah, you, you can have the award. <laughs> you heard it here first. All right, uh, now we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with topics for each of our guests. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is... Another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back. Uh, we'll lead off here talking about Newcastle with Jake. Uh, Jake, it was a big win against Huddersfield. Left it late, but did indeed get the win. And you were the dominant side for about 80 minutes of that match. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways and what was a win that arguably entirely removed you from any sort of relegation race? Uh, I wouldn't go completely that far, but I think we're in a very strong... No, I, I, I think I'd... it's, you know... Until Six matches we could get five points, basically? Yeah, I, th- I think there's enough teams below us. That they're not all going to make up the points. We're, so I think we are pretty much safe, but I th- still think we need a few more points. And I, I don't think we should be getting too far ahead of ourselves just yet. But uh, the last time I was on, I think it was after the Liverpool game. And I said, uh, and obviously there was a, a lot of talk about the negative tactics and stuff in that game, which uh, at the time was probably fair. Um, but I also said that it, we've got two big home games coming up against Southampton and Huddersfield. They're the games we have to win. If we go and win those matches, the Liverpool game's quickly forgotten. And that's pretty much what has happened. Uh, convincingly beat Southampton uh, before the international break. And then the game against Huddersfield is probably an even more important one. They've beaten us a couple of times uh, in the last few, uh, last couple of years. Uh, at the start of the season and in the Championship last season, they won at St. James Park. So they're a team that have, have done quite well against us. But... What I found quite weird was that in all the matches I've seen us against Huddersfield previously, they've, they've normally dominated the ball, uh, had loads of possession. Often didn't do a lot with it, but they normally dominated it. But th- this game was just completely different. It was just all Newcastle. We created so many clear-cut chances. Dwight Gale probably should have scored a couple. Matt Ritchie had a good chance. And it just felt like, uh, you know, in the second half, our perform- uh, performance levels dropped a little bit. We weren't quite as good. Uh, Huddersfield were coming back into it. And it was getting to that point where I thought, oh, this is it. This is classic Newcastle. Go and create loads of chances and go and lose the game. But that didn't happen. We sort of kept our heads. We we kept plugging away. And we went and got the all-important goal through Perez, which was a really nice touch from Kennedy. Uh, really uh, good, um, I guess you'd say, it was just calmness from him. Good composure to not just just swing a further ball to, to have a shot. He, he picked out Perez in a better position in quite a crowded penalty area and, and that got us a goal. And once that goal went in, I don't think it was ever really in doubt. Uh, that's three clean sheets in a row at St. James Park and our three wins in a row. I think Dubravka's not conceded at St. James Park, so that's a good record. And in 2018, I think we've we've only lost two Premier League matches and they were one against Manchester City, one against Liverpool. So, you know, if you've got a record like that, you're doing good things. And I think the form table was a seventh in 2018. So, I mean, we're doing very, very well. Uh, I think we've got the, the eighth best defence in the league in goals conceded. Our goal difference is very, very good. I think it's it's ninth behind only the top six and, and Burnley and Leicester. So, it's been a pretty good season. And, and, and if we win our game in hand, admittedly, it's against Tottenham. But if we did win that game in hand, we'd go into the top 10. So it's kind of crazy how it's gone. I think Benitez hasn't really had the credit he deserves for what he's done. He's not had the biggest budget. He's not had a lot of control, maybe. And, and it's not the best squad. I think most people will admit it's one of the worst squads in the Premier League. But they're just really committed. They they stick to the game plan. That They're really solid. Uh, there's a few good players in there. And I think we're one of the rare examples this season of, of January business improving us 
and making us a lot better. Uh, Dubravka's come in, done very well in goal, really strengthened a weak position. Kennedy's come in, he's got two goals, two assists, and he's been a huge player for us since he came in. We've only lost one game with him in the team, so he's been a really, really good player, and he's, speak, he's spoken about how he wants to, to come permanently. Whether or not Chelsea is still him, I don't know, but I think it, that'll be the first thing we need to do this summer once we stayed up is get him on a, on a permanent deal because he has been really, really good. And uh, just he's taken us from maybe competing at the bottom of the league with a, with a real threat of relegation to to, make, to just being a really good Premier League team. I think he's, he's made a huge difference. Uh, I didn't wasn't too excited about signing when we signed him, but obviously Rafa Benitez knows what he's doing, got him in, and he's done very, very well. And you can see just it's up the quality of those around him. Matt Ritchie's really pucked up his game. Uh, uh, even though Samani hasn't played that much, he, 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 him coming in has really brought Dwight Gale. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, Dwight Gale's been a lot better since he came in. Admittedly, he missed a couple of chances, but his movement was really, really good at the weekend. So uh, he's looked a lot better recently, just maybe lacking a bit of confidence in front of goal. But I think we've just been really good in 2018. I said it, uh, I think, on Twitter over the weekend. If we added a bit of quality over the summer if you, i don't think rafa wants loads of money but if we gave him sort of 50 60 million which i think is par for the course these days for for a premier league team he'd i think we'd be become a top 10 club quite easily uh, i don't think we've got a long long way to go to get there we've dropped a lot of silly points from maybe a lack of experience and a lack of quality this season and and if we had a bit of quality and with a year's worth of experience we won't be making the same mistakes so i think next season will be a, a really really good team if the board don't decide to screw it, which is always possible. Yeah, I'm interested um, in you saying that you, you feel Matt Ritchie has been doing well. Uh, I had to cover this one. Um, had to, seems harsh. I got to cover this one um, and was surprised at how little creative influence Matt Ritchie had. Uh, didn't even create a single chance. Looked further back and has created just three in the last five. Shelby was just incredible on the day, I felt. Um do you need to get more from Matt Ritchie or do you feel like that creativity can come elsewhere in the squad or do you think I'm wrong and that he's been just fine? Uh, I think he's been a lot better recently. I think it, there was a stretch of the season uh, maybe before the new year that he wasn't that great, but I think he's he's very much a hard-working uh, wing. He does a lot defensively uh, where and that gives freedom to Kennedy. We've got a sort of a lopsided wings where Dummett on one side never goes forward and Yedlin on the other side goes forward a lot which really limits what Richie can do but he, he's really good at cutting in he, he's got a good long shot his set piece delivery is pretty good I think he's I think he did get four or five assists in the the first 10 weeks of the season from his set pieces um but yeah I think a lot of his work just just is uh is is unselfish and mm. I, I think he is quite an important player when he does when he is playing and I, and I think maybe just Shelby's form and Kennedy coming in has just taken taken a bit of that responsibility off Richie and maybe he's been asked to play further back and try to be more direct when he does get the opportunity and, and try and score because that is probably what he's best at uh, so, and, and yeah he's got a couple of goals recently and I think I, I can't complain how he's going at the start of the season I thought maybe he wasn't cut out for the Premier League but I'd say recently he's been he's been pretty good and really contributed to, to the recent wins and success on the pitch Fair enough. So uh, for those like me that feel like Richie hasn't been creating enough, maybe that's not the point of how he's playing right now. I will take that on board. Um, Richard, uh, coming to you now to talk about Manchester City. Um, I almost made Player Watch about um, players that are kind of defying the years at your club. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking very clearly about David Silva, uh, who, in contrast, 
I'm sure to your delight, to Wayne Rooney, who's the same age as him on the other side of the pitch. David Silva was just impeccable um, against Everton on the day. Uh, and so I wanted to hear from you a little bit about how impressive and important he's been to the City side, this team, especially um, considering what's going on off the pitch, if you wouldn't mind speaking on that a little bit and how impressive these performances are uh, with that in mind, that would be terrific. Yeah, I um, I panic a little bit these days whenever I get asked to speak about David Silva because over a period of time now, I've um, enjoyed sort of writing about him and, and talking about him on, on podcasts and stuff. And I feel like about five years ago, I'd already used all the words and uh, now I just have to keep finding different ways to say how good he is um, because he's, he's ridiculously consistent. Um, but you're right about defying the years. Um, that's, that's one of the most remarkable things about him. Uh, there was a sort of, I wouldn't quite say a groundswell of opinion, but a, a bit of a prevailing opinion when Guardiola came in that, that Silva might be one of the fall guys uh, because he's, he's getting older and that he might, um, despite... Uh, on the face of it, and as has proven, his sort of his passing and movement clearly suits Guardiola. But there were a lot of people who thought that maybe he was slowing down and maybe he was a little bit too old to adapt. And he, he's just made a complete mockery of that idea. When you hear Guardiola speak about him, he's sort of he's like he's like he's at pains at times. Like it's, it's an anguish to him that he he can't quite articulate just how good Silver is because. And, and I sympathise with that because it isn't really possible to articulate. But when you watch him, his his grace around the pitch and his um, his poise and his his control, like he never miscontrols a ball. And it doesn't matter how over hit it is or under hit, he's always perfect with it. What and and his net, his, his first and second touch are absolutely impeccable. Um, he's he's always between the lines. He's always. His ability to find spaces, I'd probably say like nothing I've ever seen before live, um, or certainly that I've not seen from a City player before. Um, and he's just is an absolute joy to watch. But his standards are so consistently high that it's only sort of when somebody else says it to me now after a game, whether it be uh, if it's listening to punditry after a match that I've been at, or like now when you bring up just how good he is, that it makes me take stock of how great he's been again because you just sort of get to a point where you take it for granted because it's it's always the same um and then to your point about um his personal problems this year and things going on in his personal life uh for anybody who doesn't know the, the details that we do know and that he um has quite happily put out there himself uh, that uh, his uh, his partner i don't know i'm not sure if he's married but his partner anyway uh, gave birth to a son uh, earlier in the season, I think around October, November, which was when Silva started missing a few games. And it turns out that I think his son was extremely premature, uh, which has obviously caused a lot of complications. But the, the word now that Silva uses is he says that he's getting stronger. But he still does take some uh, some personal leave. I think on the international break, he played uh, 70 minutes of Spain's first game against Germany and then left the camp, which was yeah. pre-arranged. Um, and... There's two reasons that makes his form really impressive. Um, the first is just from a, a pure footballing point of view. When he misses games, it's not just games he's missing. He's missing training sessions as well, which are obviously, um, for any team, very important. But with City, with this very sort of strict style of play and um, everybody's so in tune with each other that you'd think that missing training sessions would be a, a big hindrance to a player's chances of, of functioning in the team. And it hasn't been a problem to Silver at all. 
he he comes in. I think some days he's there's been times when he's uh, he's missed full weeks and he's he's pretty much turned up, played the match and, and gone again. And he never looks any worse for it. In fact, he's um, if anything, this has probably been his best season for us, to be honest. Um, and he's he's so important to to a great team. So again, sort of like I said with De Bruyne earlier, that that speaks volumes of how good he must be individually. But then the other side of it is aside from the technical aspect, is the the more important aspect of it must be personally very traumatic for him. I I can't imagine how it must feel to. Um, to be having to go back to you uh, to your home country because he, he always he goes back to Valencia, which is where I assume either the doctors or his family must be based. Um, and to to have that travelling, okay, Spain to England isn't the greatest travel when you're doing it consistently with um, with what's going on with it, the nature of it being a uh, his baby who who is poorly and at times I, I think was. Uh, touch and go to just how bad it would be uh, to be playing on through that for anybody to work through that is um is sort of testament to a character if you're able to do that and that he's able to go and do it in such a, a pressured environment as doing your job in front of 50,000 people every week um you can't really speak highly enough of that and I think I, I would also like to throw in a mention for how well City have handled that as they should do um I would expect any sort of employer to look out for their employees' needs in, <clears throat> in such a situation. But uh, City have made it very clear all the way through and Pep's been very open that, um, you know, his, his personal life is far, far more important than anything he's got going on at City at the moment. And I think it's good that that's put out there publicly. Uh, but yeah, genuinely cannot speak highly enough for the guy. Um, and if anything, somehow he's only gone up in my estimations this season. Yeah, it's good to hear that that situation is improving, and it's good to see him play consistently because regardless of which team you support, it's hard to deny the class that David Silva presents on the pitch. Um, secondly, Richard, on a much, much lighter note, there is a possibility that you could beat Manchester United at home to win the title uh, this weekend, uh, but also very big match in the Champions League midweek. In which match would you prefer to see your strongest side, and which match do you feel is more important for you this season? Right. So from purely from a fan perspective, I would I would rather win the league against United than progress past Liverpool in the Champions League because I feel like there's only one of those two things that is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And for for the everything to line up so perfectly, for for all the permutations week by week that have to fall for us to be able to win the league in the 32nd game against them, like it will almost certainly never happen again. And it might, I don't know, it, it may be, I know a lot of City fans would disagree with me, to be honest. Um, in fact, I did a poll a few weeks ago on Twitter to uh, to ask which game people would rather win. Um, and the the... I think it was 70, 30 people would rather win the Liverpool game because oh, wow. we're going to, yeah, we're going to win the league at some point anyway. Um, but the view seems to be that we sort of need the Champions League for it to be a truly great season, uh, which isn't something I fully agree with anyway. Uh, but from from that perspective of having a, a memory that will last a lifetime, winning the league against United is that memory. And it would hurt getting beat by Liverpool. And obviously I want to win the Champions League, but I guess... I guess part of my view also comes from um, 
to put it in context, I will always view the Premier League as much more important and a more valuable trophy to win than the Champions League anyway, because you can win the Champions League without being the best team in it. It isn't a barometer of your quality. Uh, you know, the, the Chelsea, it's a barometer of how well you can handle that tournament. Um, but the Chelsea team that won it in uh, 2012, the Liverpool team that won it in 2005, they weren't, they weren't great teams. They just put in great tournaments. Uh, and there's, there's a lot to be said for that. That is in no way to diminish the achievement. But in terms of how I judge the quality of City's season, the Premier League will always, always be that benchmark for me because you play, you play all the same conditions and all the same opponents as your peers. And you don't have to do that in the Champions League. So um, it doesn't hold. As much as I want to win it and as much as I enjoy a big European night and I'm, I'm really thoroughly looking forward to going to Anfield and experiencing their atmosphere on a European night. I'm looking forward to the home leg. I'm looking forward to how tense it's going to be and I desperately hope we win. Um, but it doesn't hold the same appeal to me as the league and it, I don't think it ever will. Um, but I do hope we win it. Uh, in terms of our season though, clearly the, the, if I could look at it completely objectively, I would concede that the Champions League games are more important, and the um, to the club and the, the the derby is the one where Pep will will be more tempted to rotate uh, because the Liverpool game isn't going to be dead either way after the first leg. It's it's still going to hinge on the Etihad, um, whether there might be a couple of goals in it either side, but there will definitely still be something to play for in the second leg, and. Like I say, from from Pep's point of view, he knows the league's wrapped up. If it's not against United, then it might be at Wembley the week after, which will be pretty cool anyway. And if not, it will probably be at Swansea, be at home to Swansea the week after that. It's coming and it's imminent, and we've known that since December. So uh, the Champions League, from an outside perspective, is probably what people will look at to judge whether this is uh, a truly, truly great season. Um, and I do, I do understand that point of view. So from a fan point of view. I'd rather win the derby and win the league against them and know, uh, <laughs> as petty as this is, know that the United fans are suffering seeing that. And uh, I, I would sacrifice the Liverpool game for that. But I'm, fortunately, I'm not in any position of power at City, so I can't. they won't make decisions based on my heart. <laughs> so, um, yeah, hope, hopefully they can do both. And it could be literally one of the best weeks in our, in our entire history. Um, but if it's one or the other it'll still be pretty acceptable, to be fair. Fair enough. Although it does sound like on this podcast, we've agreed a trade. Richard receives a player of the year win for De Bruyne and a win against United to win the title. And then Thomas gets a Champions League win this week. Um, (laughs) Thomas, we'll come to you now. Not talking about that because that is a silly premise. But um, something that we talked about uh, on Twitter when we were talking about uh, having you on today, which was Liverpool, and you, you mentioned earlier the show, Liverpool in the past lose that match. And you did not. You turned it around. Salah obviously capped it with the win. Mane had a really nice flick. We don't need to get into all of his antics because I'll get called biased because I'm a Tottenham fan. Um, but um, how important is it for Liverpool and specifically under Jurgen Klopp that you're starting to churn out results uh, when you aren't playing well? Uh, obviously, you want to play well, but you're finally starting to get those points when you aren't. Yeah, of course, it's uh, it's very important. The game yesterday was very hard because... We're going into the Champions League game this week, and we have a derby next week. And so the game against Crystal Palace was, well, it was it have to be hard for the players to to be there 100% when they know they play Manchester City in the Champions League this week. 
but we still won. We didn't play well. Uh, our midfield wasn't there for 90 minutes. But still, Salah scored the winner. It was almost the same as uh, when we played Burnley. I think it was in December when Ragnar Klavan scored the winner. We play bad. We don't get the game going. But still, we managed to score somehow. And it's very unlike Liverpool. We usually... We used to win our games with 3-0, 4-0, but nowadays we can win 2-1 away from home. And it's extremely important now since uh, since we're getting a gap to Chelsea. We need to win those games that uh, when we play uh, teams behind us. And uh, yeah, I, I, really, I really like these games when I go into it and I think that we're going to get a draw or maybe lose. And in the end, we win them. So... Yeah, I think I can uh, start to... Oh, I'm losing the words. Mm. I think I can get used to these games. You know, win against uh, the lesser sides 2-1 without playing very good. Manchester United has done it for years, so it's time for us now. Yeah, and uh, it will obviously favor you uh, going forward. And assuming City don't have a ridiculous season again next season, which isn't entirely out of the question... I think Liverpool would definitely be an interesting option next year as potential early title contenders, in large part, segue, uh, into the fact that Van Dyke has very much helped turn around this defense. Um, I saw people saying uh, that signing Van Dyke wouldn't fix the Liverpool defense, but both his arrival and the kind of um, development of Andy Robertson at left back have certainly made you look a lot better defensively, as well as uh, Karius has started to look better as well, penalty aside at the weekend uh do you think your defense can improve sorry that was very american do you think your defense can improve enough next season to make you genuine title contenders yeah i think so and um, i don't think the back four is the problem now because uh, the problem for our defense now is in the midfield where we don't have a player who can uh, who can play ahead of the back four and uh, defend them from midfielders coming against them uh when i watched crystal palace yesterday i really liked the guy uh, What's his name? Milivojevic. Mm-hmm. A player like him, but um, a better player. But uh, his style in the Liverpool midfield would be great for our defence. Because uh, uh, Luis Carrius is looking, looking much better now. And he's uh, already a better goalkeeper than Minolia. But I think it's much up to Van Dijk as well that makes him safer uh, as a goalie. And uh, Andrew Robertson is, is a great signing. And he's he will probably be even better next season. And I think it's the first really good left back since I started to watch Liverpool in the early 90s. We've had uh, John Arnerise, who was a good player, but not a, he was not a great defender. And we had Fabio Aurelio, who played one game and was injured for 10 games. We've had uh, Alberto Moreno, who has played one good half of a game and then was bad for 10 games. Now we have a player who is consistent and solid and... Uh, is good in both ways. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him next year. And it will be very interesting to see who's playing on the other side when uh, Klein is uh, fit and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a, is a year older. Uh, I think we will have a good back four next season. Maybe it's uh, Mati Forlovran who, who needs to develop if we, if we don't sign a new player because both fullbacks and uh, Van Dijk is looking really good. I'm not too sure about Karius yet. I think we might see a goalkeeper signing this summer, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Klopp gives him a chance for one more season because he's looked quite good uh, the past month. Penalty yesterday was 
it was a bit clumsy, but um, those things happen. So if we win the game, we will forget about that. Uh, obviously, that is a very fair assessment. Um, next, we will head into Player Watch. We're going to be talking about who your official man of the match was this week and if you agreed with who it was. And if you didn't, who do you think did have the best performance for your club? Um, you'll be interested to know I could not find an official man of the match. I, really? I looked. I looked on the uh, the website. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find one. So I'll go with what the newspaper, the local paper, the Chronicle said, and they had Modi Ahmed as man of the match. So... I think that's pretty fair. I think he played really well. Um, it, I can't really disagree with that, but I would. I mean, I, I'm just about to disagree with that. But I mean, it. I, it could. <laughs> it could have been one of many people. But for me, probably, I thought Shelby. I thought he was I really, agree. really good. The amount of the amount of times he just put uh, people in behind Huddersfield uh, defence, that Gale was in behind three or four times. That even managed to get Matt Ritchie behind, who's not blessed with a lot of pace and and another one he got Samani in behind late on uh which sort of just before the goal so um he was just really really good he's just when he's playing like that he's got his confidence he's been like it for a few weeks now when he's confident like that he's just he just runs games and I would just be shocked if he didn't make the England World Cup squad if he continues like this because uh especially Lana going down injured Jack Wilshire uh got you know got an injury when when the, the squad were together I just think Shelby offers something different not necessarily to start for England but I just think he, he offers something that we don't have and yes he's a bit of an idiot but he seems to have been you know he's slowly getting his head there <laughs> uh, I said that before but he seems to seems to be getting there his, the partnership him and Diame have, have been excellent together uh, I don't think any Newcastle fan would have predicted that but together they've just been very very good this is like the perfect blend of uh, Shelby's technique with Diame's power and and experience and uh it's just quite an intimidating central midfield uh maybe not against the top sides because we obviously have a, a technical deficiency there but against teams at the bottom of the table it is quite intimidating to come out and see the and Shelby two two big central midfielders with a lot of Premier League experience and, and both playing really really well so I think that's been a, a major reason why we've managed to climb that table recently those two uh but I think on Saturday Shelby is probably the one that stood out most and he was he was very very good like he has been for a long for the last few weeks now yeah the Shelby passes were incredible and he just kept doing it over and over again um which was obviously very impressive indeed uh Richard uh who stood out the most for you for City and did we already talk about him uh no actually we didn't um I also couldn't find the official man of the match and I did watch the game on TV yesterday but uh, I don't care enough about Steve McManaman's opinion to remember who he gave it to um so I'm just going to assume it was given to Lee Raisane and then I'm going to agree with it um he was uh, he was brilliant he is improving all the time in all aspects of his game he's a, a frighteningly naturally talented player um and there was a there was actually a really really good analysis of him on uh, on match of the day last night. So I might end up just repeating some of their points. But his ability to stretch the game, and when it's no secret that the way uh, the way Guardiola likes to play, if we sort of really simplify it, is attack tight spaces, defend large spaces. But within that, Sané has an incredible ability to find himself a lot of space and to to sort of not really fit that rhythm and he can fit that rhythm but there's times when if the play is over on one side of the pitch he he basically stands on the other touchline and I don't 
don't know how long he can do that for without teams realising just how dangerous that makes him. Because it makes sense that if the ball's over the other side of the pitch, then you've got to sort of hit it long to him. And just the nature of how long the ball spends in the air gives players time to get to him before he can really get um, get a run going, I guess. Um, but he's so quick and he's got a, a real good sort of... Um, He's got a real knack for beating a man from a standing position and just stopping the game when he when he's in full flow, and then and then just picking up straight into a burst of pace again. And he's he's growing all the time in his understanding of the game and his decision making. Uh, his finishing's really good. His his passing is good. I mean, his, his finish yesterday was it was brilliant. It was the, the it first was, timer from Silva. Uh, yeah. 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 And he was. He was already. We were only four minutes in, and he'd already had a couple of uh, runs down the left, and then he drifts in on the right hand side. And I'm, you know, you're listening to the commentators giving. And don't get me wrong, Everton were poor, but you, you listen to them giving him stick about not picking City players up or giving them or not really pressing them as as much as they should. But I saw it more as they couldn't. Like it's like criticizing a boxer for not being able to lay a glove on Floyd Mayweather. Like there's a reason nobody can do it. Because he's that good, and that's how what City struck me like yesterday. Like Everton, okay, they weren't great, but how were they meant to deal with City yesterday? And and Sane being able to get all over the pitch was was absolutely instrumental in um, in terrorising them. And and yet another game that was was killed within twenty twenty five minutes. And realistically, it was killed within four because Everton weren't good enough to get back into that game, even at only one nil down. But um. It, it, two and then three so early on uh, it was dead and Sané had an absolute field day um, he's got a he's got a great team ethic about him and that's improving as well uh, but he's also got a single mindedness that uh, is, this might not sound like a great shout but I and I'm I'm not making like too direct a comparison, but just purely in that that single mindedness and how he he likes to really run at a player he's he rem- there's something about him that reminds me a bit of a um, Ronaldo at the same age when he'd lost, he'd lost some of that sort of unnecessary showboating that he had when he was 16, 17 and breaking through and he was all about the fancy tricks and he was maturing and getting that, that real single-mindedness about him that he could grab a game by the scruff of a neck and he was, he was just as happy um, playing his teammates in as he was as he was doing it all by himself. And Sané's getting a bit of that. Um, and the fact that he's still so young and that he's going to spend a few more years yet working with uh, with Guardiola, uh, unless I mean, unless something happens, I, I can't see him leaving this team anytime soon. Um, I think he's a, he's a frightening prospect. I, I think you never quite know how things are going to work out. But um, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that we, we could be looking at Really, one of the world's very, very best uh, in, in in a few years, because uh, he's, for me, he's been the best young player in the Premier League this season. But again, I'm obviously biased towards that opinion, I suppose. But um, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal footballer, and uh, he has more games like yesterday than he has um, games where he goes missing these days. So, uh, very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and coming to you now, uh, Thomas. It, obviously, Salah has been <laughs> one of the match many times uh, this year thus far. Who was it uh, at the weekend, and who do you think it should have been? Uh, I think I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Andrew Robertson who got the Man of the Match award. And 
it was a decent shout. He, he assisted the winning goal and he, he had a great game. So it was a good choice. But in the end, it was a team effort who won the game. There wasn't a player standing out from the starting 11. So Andrew Robertson was a good choice. Mahmoud Salah was, he was had a quiet game, but he scored the winner. And that's what, that's what we need from him. Uh, I was um, I wasn't impressed at all in the midfield, as I said before. We need to we need to do something with those those uh, three. I'm not uh, Emre Can's biggest supporter, but uh, I think we're we're better when he starts. Uh, Jordan Henderson needs to step up his game if he wants to be the captain next season and if he wants to be in the starting eleven. Uh, and the same with um, Gina Vinaldum, who has been a shadow from last season. I don't, he played uh, 60 minutes yesterday, and I can't remember one thing he did. So um, James Milner was the best out of those three, but um, they need to step up every one of them because if we want, if we're going to beat City on Wednesday, they need to be a lot of bet- lot better. But uh, Andrew Robertson had a good game. He didn't shine, but uh, he didn't do anything wrong in the 90 minutes, and uh, in the end, he assisted to the game-winning goal. So. Yeah, it was a good choice to give a man of the match. Mohamed Salah has got so many awards, so give one of them to Andy Robertson. <laughs> Although, as you said, he might not get the one at the end of the year, so uh, maybe he does need those awards after all. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap up with uh, match previews. Obviously, the easy one for us to do right now is that midweek match. Um, Richard, you already touched on it a little bit, but uh, what do you think we can expect from City on, uh, what is that, Wednesday? Yeah, first legs Wednesday. Um I think we know what you always know what to expect from City. They're going to try and dominate the ball, and there's no way that Guardiola will be uh, will be pragmatic about it. So, I I would imagine we'll see two very similar styles to the league game at Anfield when uh, when obviously Liverpool won four three. Uh, the difference that I would fully expect this time is I don't expect there to be as any uh, individual mistakes as there were from City because the for as good as Liverpool were in that game. For 80 minutes of it, City were were their equal, or over a period of 80 minutes, they were their equal. There was um, ebbs and flows for each side of momentum changes, but what it really came down to was 10 minutes of madness with three individual mistakes that we've not seen at any other point this season, and it would be extremely unlikely to see it again in um, in such high concentration, I think, uh, in such a short space of time where they lost their heads. Uh, they should have learned from that experience. Um, he's obviously going to play his absolute strongest team. He won't be thinking about the derby and winning the league when he goes into it, which means that if Aguero's fit, he'll play. It means company and Otamendi at the back. Uh, Left-back situation will be interesting because he put uh, Americk Laporte there against Everton, which was the first time he's, he's played in there. And it was good. It was really good. Uh, and as a natural defender, he'll probably get the nod. Uh, as long as he's fit, he did go off with um He was limping a bit, but I don't think it's anything serious. But Delph and Zinchenko have both done really good jobs there when they've played. Um, and then the only position that's really up for debate for me is Raheem Sterling, who uh, I love him and I'd play him in, in every single game possible with the exception of starting him against Liverpool because he's not yet had a good game against them. Uh, he gets booed everywhere that he plays for reasons that still drive me mad. But uh, Liverpool do have genuine reason because obviously he left them. And it's it's something special that he gets there. Um, it, it goes beyond what most returning players get at clubs that they've left in, in bad circumstances. They... Um, the Anfield crowd really do not take well to him. And it, it, it does seem to bother him. 
So I wouldn't play him. Uh, I'd be tempted to sort of pin Bernardo Silva out on the right instead uh, because he's he's done really well uh, since since Christmas anyway. So it's not like we'd be um, sacrificing anything particularly there. We might lose a bit of pace, but we'd make up for it in, in Silva's passing quality anyway. And then, yeah, beyond that, I mean, Liverpool are better set up than anybody to hurt us, but the, you know, the, the league doesn't lie. City are a better team. So if Liverpool are at their absolute best, I'm sure they'll score uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll create chances and they will find a way to hurt City. Um, we never win at Anfield. It is our kryptonite. So I, it's a really tough one to call. I, I wouldn't be surprised by a score draw. And if absolutely having to nail colours to the mass now, I'd, I'd probably go to all as a prediction. Um, I suppose the beauty of this game is it, it is so hard to call. And it's it's two teams whose styles styles make fights and all that, and and they will do for this game for both legs of it. They'll be I'm, I'm certain they'll be very entertaining games. Yeah, Thomas, what's your view on it from the Liverpool side? Yeah, I think it will be a there will be a lot of goals in this game because uh, we like to play City at home. We have a great result in the past seasons. We've beaten them a few times, and uh, yeah, we usually play well at Anfield against City, but. Uh, we score goals, but we also let a lot of goals in. So um, I think we will need a couple of goals in hand if we want to have a chance at Etihad next week. So if we win by 3-1 or 2-0 or something like that, I think we have a good chance. But, uh, well, Manchester City is a better team than Liverpool. We need to be at 110% and they need to have a bad game if we want to beat them. So um, hopefully our midfield plays better than they did uh, yesterday. Maybe Emre Can is fit. Maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain will start. And if they do that and if they play at their best, we have a chance. Our front three will probably score. They usually do. Uh, Mania needs to be smarter than he was yesterday. Even though he scored, he was, uh, he was a liability. Uh, but, uh, well... It will be go- we will see goals, we'll see a good game, and uh, hopefully we get a good result so that the next that the, the game at Etihad will mean something for us because this, this is our biggest game in 10 years. It's been way too long since we played the Champions League quarterfinal, and I'm really looking forward to it. But I don't want I don't want the red card and the 0-5 this time. I want this <laughs> game to be one interesting for 180 minutes at last. Yeah, I think it's one that the neutrals can definitely look forward to watching. Uh, Jake, we'll wrap up with you. You're going to be traveling to Leicester. We've already mentioned Slomani can't play uh, due to the whole loan restriction deal. Uh, what do you think we'll see in this one? Yeah, it'll be an interesting one, actually. I, th- I think Leicester haven't been too great recently. I know they beat Brighton at the weekend, but from what I saw of the game, Brighton created the better chances, yeah. and it was uh, sort of uh, just... You know, they got a couple of chances late on Leicester did and got, and got the win, but it wasn't a great performance. And I think the way we've been playing recently, like like I said earlier, we've only we've only lost to Manchester City, Liverpool, uh, Richard and uh, Thomas' two, uh, teams in uh, 2018. So uh, you know, we've we've done pretty well this this calendar year. Um, we we've we've won our last three home matches, uh, sandwiched between a, a loss at Anfield. So we're in pretty good form. I think we can go there fairly confident. I think. I, I don't see a reason why we can't win this game. I think we're very difficult to break down. We'll probably sit deep and we probably won't give uh, the likes of Vardy a lot of space in behind. Uh, and Leicester have thrown up a couple of bad results at home this season. 
Um, so I, I, I'm fairly confident. I think I, I'm not sure if we're going to win the game, but I don't think we'll lose that. I think it could be could be a one all, and you know that'll take us to 36 points, another point closer to that 40 point mark, and I think that would be a good result. All right, that'll do it for us today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you, now would be a good time. Yeah, and get me on uh, Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. I write for EPL Index and the Boot Room, so check both of those out. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns. I'm on the Blue Moon podcast, which is uh, released every Friday. It's a Manchester City podcast. And they are on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. And I write uh, one article per week for Yahoo Sport UK about City. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Nygren and I write for lfcsv.se where you soon can find an article where we have a Q&A with Richard uh, before the game on uh, Wednesday. Awesome, keeping it on brand. Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my writings over at Goal.com. You can also hear my voice on the FPL Roundtable on this very channel, as well as uh, the Championship Roundtable. I don't know why I said as well as I don't host that at all, but it is on this channel, um, and that's where I was going with that. Uh, so uh, be sure to check both of those out to kind of round out your football knowledge. Um, thanks to you guys so much for coming on today. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.